Welcome to another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. If you are listening to this podcast and you have not yet subscribed, do so everywhere podcasts are found Stitcher, iTunes, Google, Pocket Casts, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. This is the preview pod for game three. The Raptors are up to nothing over the Brooklyn. Nets surprise, surprise. Um, but the Nets surprisingly, hey, we're, we're they've good. Been yeah, they, they. Well, you know what? I don't. I shouldn't say they, that's surprising because they. We expected them to be scrappy, right? Like this was a series where everyone knew that the Brooklyn Nets were way overmatched, but they would give their all, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think Game Two was a, a pretty good example of that because. You know, all, all eyes were on Karis LeVert coming into this series because with how shorthanded the Nets are, he's, he's the guy who's driving their offense. And he shoots 5 for 22 from the field, has 16 points, um, but he dishes out 11 assists. And, and other guys like Garrett Temple step up. Jared Allen's having a really good series. Timothy Luaro Cabro um, had, had some big shots in that. So, yeah, this, this team, they've just got guys who, who have something to prove. Um, I, I think, you know, Jacques Vaughn has done, has done a good job of, of developing a game plan and getting everyone to, to be on the same page and everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, this team has proven that, that they, uh, you know, have a lot of heart. They're going to play until the final buzzer. And, you know, even though the Raptors are up 2-0, they can't exactly uh, take their foot off the gas right now, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they can either. All right, so let's get right into it. What are we looking for in, uh, in game three of this series? Let's go down Friday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time game is on Sportsnet and the Yes Network in the United States and obviously on NBA TV as well the the big thing for me is just how the Nets decide to defend the Raptors because in game one when the Raptors set I think it was a franchise record for threes made right and, mm-hmm. and Fred Van Bleet just went off they played um a drop coverage in pick and rolls which is something they basically did the entire season um they, they did a pretty good job of keeping teams out of the paint but obviously, when you do that, when you drop Jared Allen back, it opens up opportunities for guys to, to pull up off of screens. And in game two, the big adjustment they made is they basically just switched everything, every pick and roll. Um, and, and it kind of it stifled the Raptors, I think, in the first half. They got off to a slow start offensively. And they started to figure things out a little bit in the second half, um, particularly in that fourth quarter when they were able to, to kind of run away with the game. So, so I'm interested to see if the Nets do decide to stick with that switching scheme again. Because, look, there's positives and negatives to it. One is that one of the interesting things that came out of game two, I thought, was that the Raptors decided to go small at the end with mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam at center. And they did that partly because Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka didn't play very well. But suddenly, if you're switching everything, um, Jared Allen has to guard someone like a normal Powell on the perimeter. And that just opens up the paint for guys to attack. Um, but on the flip side, you're less vulnerable to those pull-up threes that the, the, the Raptors hit um, just three after three after three in game one. So, so I'm curious to see kind of what that game plan is going into game three in that regard. Friend of the show, Ashley Docking, who, is, uh, who has jumped on a couple post-game pods with us, mentioned that yesterday on the post-game pod show, um, that Jared Allen, the, the, the fact that the Nets were switching so much, it left Jared Allen out on the island, deep end of the pool, having to guard guys like Fred Van Vliet much more than he probably wanted to one-on-one on the perimeter. And that's sort of what opened up the offense in the second half for the Raptors. They, yeah, they shot like uh, – they shot horrible from, from deep. But when you can get to the rim 
seemingly at will, um, you know, that's a recipe for disaster really for any defense, no matter who you play. And then, you know, once that's happening, the Raptors started to find three timely three point shots uh, and, and everything was, uh, you know, game over for, for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, on the flip side, what, what can the Nets do? Because they did everything they could in game two, still came away with a loss. Uh, and I know we'll get to Joe Harris in a second, but what can the Nets do from a game plan perspective uh, to, to try and – because the effort is one thing, uh, but scheme-wise, can they do anything different to try to slow this team now? I mean, I, th- I think game two was kind of the game for them, right? Because you you hit the Raptors with the punch that they weren't expecting or probably weren't expecting in, in switching everything and forcing them into more one-on-one basketball, um, which is probably one of the few, you know, one of the biggest weaknesses with this team is that they just don't have a bunch of guys who can kind of create their own shots one-on-one. Mm. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry can attack a mismatch, but they're not like high-usage ISO guys. It's basically just Pascal Siakam. Um, so, look, I... Maybe now is the time to talk about Joe Harris because without him, that's a huge part of this team, of an already shorthanded team. Um, and, you know, no matter what they do offensively and defensively, without him being out there, it's it's a lot for them to make up. Yeah, the series is over. We we already know. we like they, They're down 2-0. The series is over. There's no home court advantage. Uh, it's not like they're going back to Brooklyn. Maybe they steal one or or, or can get the, the ball rolling with two in a row and make this a series. Series is over at 0-2. And, you know, obviously losing Joe Harris hurts even more. But I, but I do think that there is something to be said about the way that they guarded them in game two, going to the switch versus the drop coverage. I think that that will make this, these two games, possibly three, more competitive. Because like you said, the Raptors just don't have a ton of guys that are going to be uh, – they don't have a ton of Luka Doncic's on the team. They don't have a James Harden that's going to – crush any one-on-one matchup that's in front of them like of course like any garden league should be able to attack a jared allen or a big that switches out on them kyle kyle Lauer and fred van vliet are in that camp uh norm powell um is, is a guy that when he's aggressive and we saw that in game two he can get to the rim on essentially anyone og's handle his improved handle that's a part of his game now so the raptors aren't going to the Raptors aren't going to struggle to score again like they did in game two, knowing what's coming at them. But I do think that this, this scheme gives the Nets a better chance at trying to defend the Raptors. And also, when we look beyond this to the next series, which likely will be the Boston Celtics, and I don't want to spend too much time here because I know we'll spend a bunch of time talking about what the Celtics have. The Celtics are watching this, and they're saying to themselves, we have far better defenders than what the Nets have uh, yep. that could keep guys in front of, front of them. So um, the Celtics will switch and, and guard the Raptors one-on-one and, and not have to worry too much about uh, zoning up or, or, or even drop coverage or, or giving up those three-pointers like the Nets decided to do in game one. Like That's not going to be an issue for the Boston Celtics. So the Raptors will have to find another way to attack them. But um, it should be a cause for concern a little bit if you're a Raptor fan seeing – the Nets be that it's a far worse defensive team than the Celtics are. Seeing them be successful with the way that they were able to guard in Game Two, again the Raptors shot like crap from the field. But if that continues, like if the Raptors have to slug it out for the next two games and win that style of basketball without having uh, an easier night on the offensive end, you got to be nervous a little bit because Boston is a much better defensive team. I will say, I think 
one of the takeaways from me from game two was that Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka just both weren't very good. Um, I, that's not fair, actually. But Ibaka was all right in the fourth quarter. He was um, in Yeah, and he played a little bit of a role in that comeback. Mark Gasol, I, that was the worst game I've seen from him in a long time, if ever, to be right. honest. And, you know, if you have neither of them a, a big-time post-up scorers, but if you are going to go against a team like the Nets, who don't have a ton of size outside of Jared Allen, and you're switching all over the place, and, you know, Marc Gasol has Karis LeVert on him, um, it would be nice to be able to just dump the ball down to them in the post. They tried to do that a couple times in the first half, um, I remember, trying to feed Marc Gasol in the post with a mismatch. And he was just, I think he had a couple bad turnovers, missed one layup. Um, so so that's, that's one other thing in Game 3 that if the Nets do continue to switch, maybe that's a way that they can attack it a little bit more by, by using their size uh, to get some easy baskets around the rim. I also do wonder, I, I don't think the Pascal Siakam at center thing is something that suddenly is going to be a huge part of the Raptors in the playoffs because we basically didn't see any of it um, in the regular season and thus kind of went to it in this game because Gasol and Ibaka weren't playing well. But I do wonder if, like, if neither of them are giving you much against that defensive scheme again, that switching scheme, um, if he decides to roll that again, because that's, that's a really interesting lineup to me. You know, defensively, OG and Pascal Siakam can match up with a center like Jared Allen, who doesn't ever look to score in the post. He's basically a roller and a cutter um, and an offensive rebounder. So if you can kind of neutralize him on that end of the court and you don't have to worry about being beaten um, with their size, you can basically just put five you know, athletes who can shoot threes, take, make plays off the dribble and pass. And that just stretches out that defense so much more and opens up more opportunities for guys like Norman Powell, um, like he did in game, game two to just continuously attack the basket. Um, because I'm with you, it's that game, that, that seeding game between the Raptors and Celtics, even though, you know, the Raptors didn't show all, the, all their cards and, and same thing for the Celtics. It did raise some concerns for me because the Celtics team, one is one of the best teams in the league at keeping teams um, out of transition, which is a huge part of the Raptors' success offensively this season. And you're right. If you can suddenly they have three or four wings who can comfortably switch onto Pascal Siakam, who is Toronto's best one-on-one scorer, and if you take that away from them, um, it, they're going to have some troubles offensively. Because that, that was my biggest concern with this team heading into the playoffs is, you know, we know they're incredible defensively. They can match up with pretty much anyone and slow any team down. Um, but, you know, when push comes to shove, can they create good shots in themselves in a close game? That's still the biggest question for them. Yeah. Um, you wrote an article about the intrigue with Pascal Siakam at the five. It's over on NBA.com right now. I encourage you guys to go out and read it. Good stuff there. And it's uh, a preview of what I think we'll see more of in the Boston series because I don't think you can afford to have four non uh dribble drive threats against a team like the Celtics that can really guard and you can get away with it against the Celtics because Daniel Tice is not the big offensive threat that he he can be he's, he's more of an offensive threat than Jared Allen but he's still you're not you're not going to be afraid he's not going to punish you with his size no uh, and Siakam could definitely match up with him so he's also smaller by the way the the sneaky thing about Daniel Tice I think he's like six six eight or six, six nine eight, or something yeah. he's, he's actually pretty small for a for a sentence today's NBA. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he's, I, you know, I love me some Daniel Tice, but it, I, know, Siakam, I don't think anyone likes him as much as you do, to be honest. <laughs> Siakam, Siakam can definitely guard him without, a, without any, without any issue. All right. Um, who has to have a big game? Game three, who has to have a big game? I mean, I kind of already said, it. I, I, I want to see a big game from, not necessarily a big game, but a better game from Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka, just because again, that sw- switching scheme should open up opportunities for them. 
Um, but beyond them, look, I feel like we've, we've been talking about Pascal Siakam to death at this point. Nick Nurse made it pretty clear before the game that he's sick and tired of asking, answering questions about Siakam. Um, but, you know, we, we had a little chat about it yesterday. Right. I thought Siakam was awesome in the first quarter. He really came yeah. out. You, you know, the Nets, the Nets delivered the first punch and he kind of carried the offense. And then after that, it wasn't so great for him. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's not a huge deal in this series, but the Raptors are definitely going to need him to be more consistent uh, to have against a chance against a team like the Celtics in the second round. There's two camps, and me and Ash talked about it in the postgame. There's two camps right now in the Siakam. Uh, there's those who are making excuses for him and those who are crushing him at every opportunity. There's no in between right now with Pascal Siakam. <laughs> uh, I said you were drunk about the, the the way he played. I I take it back because you said in the first quarter he played really the, well in the first quarter. He was he was who we thought he was in the first. I mean, he was incredible in the first quarter. That's the effort that Pascal Siakam should be giving you. Uh, you know, night in night out. The problem is is that that went away pretty quickly, and he was non-existent for the rest of the game save for you know a couple plays here and there and if you're going to be an all-star and this is my problem if you're going to be an all-star I just need to know that you're in the game more than uh I can't I can't be watching game be like, oh yeah Pascal's on the court like you should have a certain presence about you on the floor especially when you're as good as you as you are on both ends of the floor like watching some of these other series you know when Luke is on the floor and you know when he's off the floor you know when James Harden's on the floor. You know when he's off the floor. And I'm not comparing, you know, Pascal Siakam to those guys, but I am comparing the impact that he should have on his team if he's the quote-unquote best player or most important player um, for the team's success. I know Kyle Lowry is the heartbeat and soul of the team, but if this team's going to win a championship this season, they have to have the best version of Pascal Siakam going forward. Not going to matter now against the Brooklyn Nets, but it will matter later on in the playoffs. I mean, he was one for seven in the second half. Uh, sorry, he was one for second, one for seven from the field after the first quarter, and OG was one for six. So he only took one more shot than OG Ananobi, yeah. which is not something that the uh, Raptors are probably happy about seeing. And look, I, I think that some of the some of the concerns with Siakam have been a little overblown. Like, I, I think he's been better defensively in the seeding games and playoffs so far than he was in the regular season. Like he seems to be giving a little bit more effort. Mm -hmm. um, and usually, I mean, the Raptors do seem to be better offensively with him on the court. So I do think that some of the concerns are overblown. But to your point, like you can't afford against the Celtics team, for example, he can't go one for seven Absolutely from in quarter two, you know, two onwards in a game um, that's really close. And look, they got lucky last night in that Norman Powell had his best game in a long time. Um, Fred Van Vliet carried the offense in that third quarter um, and down the stretch and Kyle Lowry played well in that second half so it didn't really matter but at some point it, you know it, it could be a big deal for the Raptors and hey and maybe it doesn't matter if those guys continue to step up and have his back but you just expect a little more uh, you know from your your all-star that's all that's 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 all I'm saying um, we'll leave we'll leave there because I've, I've spent far too much time talking about whether or not I think Pascal Siakam is playing well in the playoffs, the bubble, whatever playoffs, the two games in, and he's been meh. Um, it, is there? A, oh, oh, Joe Harris. What what actually? Joe Harris leaves the bubble after the after game two loss. Um, it's the, the the team has cited for personal reasons, so it's non medical. Uh, Adrian Rodronowski from ESPN said that. If he were to come back into the bubble at this point, he'd only be available for game six and seven. There's not going to be a game six and seven in this series. So we've probably seen the last of Joe Harris. 
What does that mean now for the Brooklyn Nets? Um, you know, you know, now knowing that one of their better players, he wasn't, he's not their best player, but one of their better players is, uh, is no longer part of this team. I mean, one thing we can say for sure is that he's the best shooter, right? He's, he's not, yeah. he's not someone who's creating his own baskets. Um, so that, that's not one thing that they're going to lose in him not being on the team, but you're losing one of the most accurate three point shooters in the league, a guy, someone, you know, teams have to keep their attention on basically every single second he's on the court and offense because he's in constant motion. I think there were only like three guys this season who averaged more points per game scoring off of screens. So he's, he's just a dynamite spot up shooter, a guy who can run off of screens and you take that away from the nets and suddenly you're going to have to replace him with someone like Rodion Skouroukes, who's been pretty awful in this series so far. Tyler Johnston, who's actually been playing pretty well, but you know, he's just not the same shooter as Joe Harris. And really, I think it just means that's someone else that the Raptors can probably help off of um, and, and give even more attention to Karis LeVette or maybe even Jared Allen, who's had a good couple games. So it's just going to make life harder for, you know, their two, their two best players now in LeVert and Allen. Um, although Joe Harris, I think Joe Harris has been their second leading scorer since the season restart with about 20 points per game. Um, so, it, I mean, it's, a, it's just a tremendous loss for an already shorthanded Nets team. Yeah, it's, uh, it hurts big time. Um, obviously, the scoring is going to hurt. I mean, they struggled to get 99 points yesterday um, in, in game two. And if, you know, if the Raptors didn't take their foot off the gas pedal, they probably would have struggled to get to 100 points in game one in that blowout. And Harris was a big part of their scoring in both of those games. I just don't know. Like, I mean, I know Gary Temple has been nice uh, in back-to-back outings. Karis LeVert had a bad shooting night, but he, he, he's been terrific in terms of his playmaking. They just don't – that – I mean, the guaranteed at least 15 points you're going to get out of Joe Harris and also the floor spacing is just a, a tough, tough blow to lose. And then also, he was rebounding uh, really well and, uh, and allowed them to go to, you know, the, the, the sort of four-guard or four-wing lineup with Jared Allen uh, in the big spot. And now that's gone because Joe Harris, I think, is – most people just look at Joe Harris as a, a shooter – he can do way more than that, and he's he's, he he's decent defensively. Like I won't go on and say he's a three and D guy, but he's not going to be a, a you know revolving door on the defensive end. So you lose that, um, you lose the rebounding, you lose the floor spacing, and I mean you you, you lose a series at the end of the day. But uh, tough tough loss for him going forward though. You wrote the article that the Raptors should keep an eye on him because he's going to be a free agent this summer. For him going forward. Um, what happens? Because he, he, I mean, the Nets, I said it uh, on the post show, the Nets should g- give him whatever he wants to try and keep him because he is a piece that fits perfectly around Katie and Kyrie. Uh, and he does dirty work, which Katie and Kyrie are going to be interested in doing this season. So they should do everything they can to try and keep him. But I mean, he's going to have suitors, right? He, uh, there's going to be 29 other teams would love to have a Joe Harris. Absolutely. And that's going to be the thing for the Nets because, I mean, I just pulled up the, the salary sheet for next season. They've already got, not without Joe, Joe Harris, they've got $140 million committed to their roster next season. That's because <laughs> Kevin Durant's making $40 million, Kyrie Irving's making 33 Karis LeVert's extension kicks in. He's making right. 16 next season. And then there's three more guys making over $10 million. So I'm with you. It's like, I, I think Joe Harris is a guy you can basically put on any team because Every team in the league wants a guy, a high-volume, accurate three-point shooter who, you're right, might not be a defensive stopper, but he's not someone you ever have to worry about because he's super smart on both ends of the court, knows where to be, knows what to do. He's not going to step on anyone's toes. So if you're the Nets, I mean, 
are you spending 10, 15 plus million dollars a year on him? And then that, you know, you're paying 150, 160 million dollars to your, to your team that you don't even know, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are coming off of serious injuries. And like, you have no idea if they're going to fit well together. Do they have his bird um, rights? I, yeah, they, I, I'm pretty sure they do. Okay. So, um, so I mean, they, they're absolutely, they, I think they're, they're in the driver's seat. Like they, they'll be able to, um, if they really want to keep him, they should be able to, but it's just a, a matter of how high is that price? Yeah, um, tax. Because you got to keep him though. Like there's no, uh, hello, uh, uh, you know, you have to keep him. Have to. I mean, we just talked about this this morning and that I, I have concerns next season about how Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert are going to fit next to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant because both those guys need the ball, are at their best when they have the ball in their hands. And suddenly you have two of the most ball-dominant scorers in the league coming back on this team. So you absolutely need someone in Joe Harris who, you know, can play off ball. Um, and, you know, even if he, do, if he scores two points in a game, he's making a tremendous amount of impact because of, you know, the opportunities that he opens up for others because people have to defend him every single second he's on the court. So he's absolutely someone you want on this team. It's just a matter of, like, have they already priced themselves out given all the other contracts that they've been given? No. Um, and for Marks, the Raptors specifically, I think... Go get him. Sean Marks can't let him get out the door. I, I'm with you. I, I think he's someone that they, they need to... I think they've also said that, you know, he's their priority this offseason, which, I mean, makes sense because no one else who's going to be a free agent really um, probably won't return to this team moving forward. Uh, the, the Raptors are interesting to me just because, look, Fred Van Vliet's making himself a lot of money mm-hmm. with his play in the bubble mm-hmm. and uh, the playoffs. I mean, he was already due for a big payday, but um, he's only helped his stock so far with his play. And if he's someone who prices himself out for the Raptors, um, we have no idea how that's going to work out. I just think Joe Harris would be a really good addition to this team um, next to Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, assuming, of course, that they don't have to break the bank to get him. Um, that, that, that's why he, he was someone I thought the Raptors should keep an eye on. Um, throughout the seeding games and the playoffs yeah he would be a nice addition to to toronto he's uh like i said most people just look at him as a shooter but he does so much more he can rebound he can defend he's he, he's the only thing he can't really do is put the ball on the floor as much as you would like but he's I mean, improved he's improved he is, as a driver he's not as but, bad but you're but you're right he's still kind of like a straight line driver like he, right. he's the guy who teams run out of him because they're scared of him shooting threes he can put the ball on the floor and finish Pretty strong at the rim. I mean, he's like 6'6", so he's actually he, he's a decent finisher, even though it's something like he's had like two dunks in his NBA career. He's not, you know, a high flyer or anything like that. But you're right. He's not someone you're just going to give him the ball and let him go to work in isolation or anything like that. Right. Uh, all right. We have, we have a couple minutes here. Let's, do you want to talk about these other series? Do you want to talk about uh, the, the three other series that went down? Uh, game twos went down uh, after the Raptor game. We have uh, the Jazz and Nuggets. The Jazz tied that series back up. I don't have much to say on this series other than I'm, I like Donovan Mitchell at the point guard. And when Mike Conley comes back, it's going to ruin the, the, the flow that Donovan Mitchell's in. I wrote about that on NBA.com. You can go read about it. I, uh, the best version of Donovan Mitchell is at point guard. And I don't know if the right move is to stagger their minutes or even dare I suggest Mike Conley come off the bench uh, and, and, you know, run the second unit. I just don't know that the two of them playing on the same floor at the same time is beneficial for the Utah Jets. I mean, it's, it's the Luka and Hug model, right? You, you surround your uh, best ball handler with, with shooters at every position or, you know, three other shooters and then one guy who scores at the rim, and you just space the floor and let them go to work. 
my, I mean, my concern with Donovan Mitchell, I think everyone's is, is that he, he's a little up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, I was worried, especially after that historic game one that he had. I thought he was just going to come crashing back down to earth and have a, have a tough game. But he was, he was fantastic, especially in that third quarter in that game too. Um, and, and yeah, that's going to be fascinating to see what happens when Conley returns. Because I think he, he might, I don't know when he's going to return. I think that there's talk that he could be good to go for game three, if not game four. So it's, it's happening soon. Yeah, it's he's he's on he's on campus, so he, yeah. it's it's either game three or four. Um, like I wrote about it in the in the uh, in my piece, it's Mitchell's efficiency drops off a table when Conley's on the floor with him. So that's the difference between a Donovan Mitchell being effective player. He's, his scoring stays the same, but just efficiency just drops right off uh, when Conley's just standing on the floor with him. So um, it's going to be interesting to see that series tied at one there. Uh, Boston and Philly, we're not going to talk about that because it's. Philly's Philly's effort made me sick yesterday. It was an embarrassing effort. There between Al Horford and and Tobias Harris, they're making a lot of money. What is it? Two hundred million dollars between the two of them over that. It's a lot of money. And seventeen points combined in a game two that you should have. I mean, at this point, honestly, Scott, if the Philadelphia 76ers were playing basketball in my backyard. I would draw the blinds. I would not even <laughs> I would not even peek outside to see what they're doing out there. That is how bad they, I mean they're just awful awful awful. I know it sucks that Ben Simmons isn't there, but yeah. that effort is it was it was embarrassing to see and the, the Celtics are doing what they should be doing and kicking the crap out of them and getting them out of the bubble as soon as possible. Yeah, credit to the Celtics for keeping their foot on the gas and and not taking, you know, them lightly given all their injury situation and everything like that. Um, Jason Tatum was spectacular in, in game two. And uh, there's a good chance the Raptors will be getting a close look at him. It's a it's a 99.9% chance that the Raptors are going to face the Sixers, uh, sorry, the Celtics in the second round, unless they're barring like major injury to one of these guys. Hopefully that doesn't happen. All right, this is the series we want to talk about, right? This is the good one. 1-1 one, one now between the Mavs and the Clippers. Luka is incredible. Um, but Amazing. as we were talking about off air, I thought, I mean, I thought the Dallas had uh, missed their opportunity from from really stealing a game after you know Porzingis gets kicked out of Game One, um, and the way they came out in Game Two, man, I don't know. I think the Clippers are still the favorites, in my opinion, to win the title, but that gap is is a lot closer to they're like they're not a they're not a stone cold lock like. I expect them to win the title, but it wouldn't shock me anymore now if, if they somehow, some way get upset by a team in the bubble. Because the way that their effort against Dallas, they're playing like a team that they've, they're on their, their third championship run, like this Clipper team. They're, yeah, they're like the Warriors like last season. What are they the doing? Yeah. What are they, like, they've never made, they haven't made the conference finals as a franchise in 47 years. And they're out here just lackadaisical effort. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Sitting guys, like I understand Patrick Beverly wants to be healthier for the later rounds, but I mean, I he mean, missed games. He, he has a knee injury, right? I, I, he uh, missed calf. some games, cough injury. Yeah. Um, I know he, I think he missed some games this regular season with that injury. So I don't think this is just a matter of like they're resting him. That's fair. But I, I just don't know. Whew, I, that effort was was awful i thought they were going to come out of that second half and and try to get back into the game and it was just like the same lackadaisical effort that they started the game with and then they were down too big of a hole that they couldn't even get out of look paul george needs to be better like it's that simple he scored 14 points on four for 17 shooting from the field two for 10 
Kawhi did his thing going off for 35 and 10 rebounds. Like, Paul George needs to be better because they, 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 you know, traded for him with the hope that he could be the Batman, uh, the Robin to Kawhi Leonard's Batman. And if they're going to have any chance of winning the title this season, they need him to be better than that. Um, and, and also, I mean, we need to talk about Trey Burke because he, I, I thought yeah, the Mavericks were in trouble. When Luka Doncic picked up his fifth foul in the fourth, uh, the early part of the fourth quarter, right. um, I think it was, and Trey Burke just put the team on his back and was basically just beating anyone who was in front of him, just taking him off the dribble with his right hand and scoring at the basket. Um, Seth Curry gave him some great minutes as well. So did Boban. Um, this, this Mavericks team is fascinating because we, we really have all season long just talked about how it's, it's the Luka show. And it is. Right. I mean, he, he's, we've, we've talked about him so much. But their bench has actually been really successful in the minutes that he's been that sorry their second unit has been much better than you'd think when Luka Doncic isn't there on the, the court because season? yeah in the regular season oh, really? um okay. they were actually they were actually really good I think they started off terribly like the numbers were awful when Luka was on the bench um and then kind of when he missed that time with that first injury things started to pick up and and you saw it last night like they just they don't have anyone who's going to blow you away or anything but you know Tim Hardaway Jr. can make some plays um I'm, I'm a huge Maxi Kleber guy I really like him Seth Curry played a really good game. He can, you know, he can run off of screens. He can create his own offense and pick and rolls. Like this team is, uh, offensively, they're just an absolute handful. Um, And the Clippers can certainly not, you know, take them lightly because they're, like we saw last night, they're going to put up 127 points pretty easily against you if you're not dialed in defensively. And that's what shocks me is like, yes, Paul George had the bad game, um, but his defense has been awful in the first two games as well. Like he hasn't, he hasn't, been as disruptive disruptive defensively as he normally was like last year he was you know top in the deflections he was he was getting out there wasn't he you know finished third in uh in, in yeah he was a finalist for mvp and defensive player of the year if I and defensive player of the year and that yeah. i mean obviously we didn't expect him to follow up with that third finish in, in the mvp voting but defense uh i at least thought that he would be I mean, we, people were comparing him to Scottie Pippen and, and Michael Jordan between him and Kawhi. He's more like uh, Tony Kukoc standing next to Michael oh, Jordan at do this that. point. Okay, don't do that. He is. <laughs> we're taking it too far now. We're taking it too be, far. He might even be Bill, Bill Wellington at this point. Stop. Like, come on. What are, we, what, are we, what are we seeing here from Paul George? I, the shooting, I, I think he'll, he'll, he'll find his range at some point because he, he's an up-and-down shooter as well. Like, he's streaky. He's streaky. He goes yep. through stretches like this. But the defense is really where I'm like, wow. If the Mavs can put up 130 points, and I know that Mavs are a great offensive team, I just don't understand how the Clippers, everyone said that no one's scoring against them in the playoffs. And in game two of the first round, you have a team that has no business being in a series with them, just rolling off points with Luka in foul trouble. Like, if it was Luka doing all the damage, okay, I get it. Trey Burke? You, y'all can't stop Trey Burke? Come on, man. They're in trouble. And not in the gonna, series, but it, I mean, well, that's what I was going to say. It's not going to get any easy for them, you know. When you look at who else they're going to have to face to win the title, so um, I, again, I, I think a lot of this—not to put all the pressure on him—but I do think, you know, given the amount that they gave up to get him, given the caliber of player he is, the Clippers just can't afford for Paul George to to kind of be a no-show in the playoffs. Man, how what what sort of karma would that be? Kawhi can't get a championship this year, and the Raptors find their way. And, and get to the finals or hoist the, the Larry OB once again. And Kawhi's just got to look at Paul George in his face and say, I, I risked it all for you, bro. Come on, man. Hey, that, would be, uh, that, that would be something. That would be something. 
Oh man, I, I, I can't wait to cover that on NBA.com. Be hey, great. it's it's still early. That's all I'll say. It is early. It is early. It's only one loss. They're they're allowed four of them in a, in a series. So hey, yeah, uh, anything they could win it in five. But they yeah, I I am shocked that the Mavericks are giving them this much trouble. All right, let's get out of here. NBA.com for all your Raptor news and notes and also notes around the league. Enjoy the other series. We'll be back post game with another pod right here on the Raptors Pod Take.